This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molecule.com. That's M O L E K U L E.com and enter the discount code FOOL. It's Wednesday, September 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Matt Argusinger. Also joining us in studio is producer Dan Boyd. Why is producer Dan Boyd on this side of the glass? Well, if you follow us on Twitter, you know that we have a massive power outage at Fool Global Headquarters today. Is that going to stop us from doing the show? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because producer Dan Boyd is the man with the plan, brings the equipment in. So, we're good. We're good. We're ready to roll. Um, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk payments. We're going to talk diversification. Uh, we might take your question if you would just drop us an email to marketfoolery at fool.com. What's stopping you? Drop us an email. We're lonely for crying out loud. Marketfoolery at fool.com. First question from PK Patel in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Can you cover the dynamics of some of the big Chinese companies like Alibaba, Baidu, JD.com, etc., and why those stocks are down significantly despite sales and earnings growth? Is this a buy opportunity or do you see a further decline? It's a great question, Maddie. And this is look, we're getting towards the end of the year. And as we get into November, December, people will start to do their Look backs on 2018 and say, well, what what was the big investing story of the year? What was the big business story? This isn't going to be number one, I think, on anyone's list, but it really should be probably a top five story in terms of investing because because he's right. Yes, I think so. Because if you think about it, we haven't experienced a quote unquote bear market for U.S. stocks. Uh, 2011 was a tough year, but really since. The end of the financial crisis or the end of the last recession. So, you know, we're nine years here. But that's not the case for China. If you look at the Shanghai and Shenzhen stock markets, the primary domestic stock markets for in China, they're down more than 25%, at least as of yesterday. And so China has experienced a bear market. And what's interesting is these foreign listed Chinese stocks, the Baidu's, the Alibaba's, JD, they've been wrapped into this. This downturn uh, and this uh, really, which, which which has been precipitated by, I think, by the you know the the, the trade war that we have between the U.S. and China, the, the tariffs, the threat of more tariffs, and and what that's going to mean long term. And, and I think now the narrative is that well, even if this trade spat smooths out or kind of doesn't isn't as impactful as we um, as we think it could be today. There could be a slowing down in the Chinese economy, and we've already sort of seen a little bit of signs of that. So, what you're seeing, I think, is just this this rotation, institutional rotation, out of Chinese stocks. Um, big institutions have just hit the sell button for for many reasons, um, and so uh, a lot of these companies, which uh, is it PK, I think, is with the email. Yeah. He's rightly pointed out these companies are growing. I mean, and the market opportunities are vast. And I have to say, the stocks look very cheap, but they've been thrown out. Like every other Chinese stock in the world, uh, certainly over the last few months. Yeah, I, I almost feel like the answer to his question is: This a buy opportunity, or do you see a further decline? I almost feel like the answer to the question is yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, yes. Like I think I, 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 I'm not prepared to say, "Oh no, this is the bottom for them. They're going right. to bounce back." We really good chance we see further decline. It may still be a nice buying opportunity, right? I think PK, if your time horizon is is long enough, and I hope as a fool, if you're a listener, we we tend to think in years, obviously not months or quarters. 
this could be a really great time. And I think what we've talked about before, the the advent of the Chinese ADRs, what they're calling CDRs, which is going to enable companies like Baidu, um, of the companies we've talked about, Alibaba, to list their shares in China as well, for capital raising purposes. That, I think, is a, a near-term catalyst that is still going to happen. Um, so, short-term and long-term reasons to think you could be getting a great value right now looking at these stocks. Is there, remind me, is there a firm date on that, or is that a, like, we'll know it when it gets announced? Right. The, the, the Chinese regulatory authority that manages that has kept saying by the end of the year, but, uh, you know, things are fluid. There's no set date for it. I think it'll happen sooner than, than later. It's like Amazon's second headquarters. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. By the end of the year, we'll yeah. let you know. Question from Mike in Columbus, Ohio. Should Square buy eBay? That's a pithy question. That was the entirety of the email. Should Square buy eBay? Yeah, Mike, that is a question we wouldn't have dreamed of asking just a couple of years ago. But if you look at where Square is today relative to eBay, it's actually one of those hypothetical ones that actually looks could could be reasonable. It's a reasonable question to ask. I don't think so for a lot of reasons, but mainly because I think Square is trying to be a um, as ubiquitous a platform as they can be. They don't want to, you know, buying an eBay even though they probably could do it. Um, and I know they've already have a relationship with eBay in terms of the lending that they've kind of taken away from PayPal. So eBay and Square have already partnered uh, on loans to eBay sellers from Square, but I just think Square wants to be the sort of point of sale, point of transaction platform for many many major markets. Um, and I think if they if they honed in on eBay and spent a lot of their capital there, it probably limits their opportunities and their exposure beyond that, because then you're going to get into competitive issues with other major e-tailers, uh, not just in the U.S. but maybe around the world. I think you're going to they're going to hinge themselves to that that eBay platform, which we know isn't exactly the fastest growing company. It doesn't have the same dynamics as it used to. It's not the fastest growing, and it's all, but it's also established enough and well known enough that I think you're right. It would probably. Limit their opportunities elsewhere, as opposed to if Square bought Etsy, sure, which is which is young enough and small enough, and I don't think that as many established e-tailers look at that as a competitive threat, and maybe in some cases that's to their detriment. But it it seems like if Square wanted to go down this road. Ebay would not be first on the list. No, you're right. I like I like that the mention of Etsy because that's that's one of the Smaller bets, if you will, that I think could make more sense and wouldn't wouldn't hinder their opportunities down the road. Quick shout out to Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. I should know because I suffer from spring allergies, and I stole a Molecule device. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> uh, Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level, and it makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, helping them better cope with their conditions and significantly reducing their symptoms. Uh, one customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Uh, I don't know who she is. I don't know. I don't know about her. That is that's a, that's remarkable. It is remarkable. Uh, I, but I'll just speak to my own experience, which is Molecule sent one of these devices to our office, and we had it here in the studio. Not here in the studio. It was on the other side of the glass, and you could you could definitely tell there was a difference in the air. But this was uh, earlier in the spring where I and. You know, you live around here. Oh, yeah. Colin is brutal. Is so uh, it was a Saturday, and I was at home feeling miserable. And I thought, uh, why feel miserable when I can go steal this device from Full Headquarters? And I did. And I brought it home and put it in my bedroom, and felt amazing as a result of that. And I brought it back 
Don't worry, I brought it back. <laughs> I'm uh, just happy you can, you know, we can all breathe through our nose. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what it's like to live not being able to breathe yeah, your nose. It's going to be terrible. Uh, uh, it's easy to use, and I can vouch for that because I'm not really good with technology, and I was able to use it. It has a clean and sleek design. Uh, from the materials used on the device, like its sleek, solid aluminum shell, to a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. And for our dozens of listeners, you can get $75 off your first order by going to Molecule.com and using the promo code FOOL. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and use the promo code FOOL. Great question from Matthew Mandeville in Michigan. Uh, Matthew writes, I've opened a Robinhood account with $5,000, with Robinhood having no transaction fees. Is there any real downside to having a much more diversified portfolio with small positions in each stock, say, one to five shares, instead of fewer stocks, but with larger positions? The only issues I can see are, one, it's much harder to closely follow each company, and two, with small positions, your big winners do not affect your portfolio as much. Even with these issues, it seems like having a more diversified portfolio would be better in the long run. What do you think? Great question. Very great question, Matthew. And um, I will say, the answer is yes. I mean, I think there's a tremendous amount of value to having a portfolio that you're sort of just regularly making small investments in companies on a regular basis. And I'll share a quick personal story. And I recently wrote an article for. Uh, fool.com to this effect, which is I kind of have two portfolios. You know, I have many portfolios, but kind of two buckets that my my personal net worth, stock net worth, is invested in. And one bucket is sort of my my concentrated portfolio where I pay a lot of attention to. It's got it never has more than fifteen stocks in it. It's got big positions. I manage I quote unquote manage it more regularly than I than I do this other bucket. The other bucket is essentially a collection of my wife and I our, our retirement accounts. And those are 401ks that we have here at the Fool, for example, self-directed, um, and some IRAs. And essentially we have just regular money going in those accounts monthly. And with those, I'd say they're almost on autopilot. I, I money goes in, we buy a few stocks. Some of the money goes to an S P five hundred index fund, but mostly it's just every month buying a few investing a few shares and a few stocks. And so recently, about a month ago, I went back and I looked at how these two buckets have performed over the last roughly 13 years since I've been keeping track. The bucket of the concentrated big positions, it's done about 12% a year, which I'm not complaining about. It's pretty good. And I'm proud of that. The bucket, the autopilot bucket, where I'm just buying a few shares a month, that thing's done 18% a year. And, And I think I attribute that to basically. The mechanical idea of putting a small amount of cash to work every month in a few stocks, it yeah, there's about, there's about 70 stocks um, across these retirement accounts. So it's a big bucket, very diversified bucket. But what happens is those small investments you make in some incredible winners. Like I've got Netflix in there for one. I've got Mercado Libre in there. I've got a few other just monster companies that have done well. I've got a lot of losers in there too. But that bucket has just performed so well, and I pay so little attention to it. It is literally on autopilot. And this other one, where I'm spending a lot of my time and making big stakes and doing big transactions, I've done a lot worse. That's great. Yeah, and and you know, Matthew's just starting out, but you think about 
I mean, he's right. Particularly if you say, uh, uh, if you're going to take a, a very even-handed approach and say, well, I'm going to buy $500 increments of 10 companies or something like that, or, or possibly even smaller than that. Yeah. Um, the longer you let that go, the more you're going to see that, yeah, you're going to have some losers. But the the winners, you know, you're going to have a couple winners in there that will. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> in short order, they will no longer be small positions. No, no, no. And the beautiful thing about Robinhood, yeah, is, is that obviously you're not paying transaction fees, which is a, it's a huge drag. Can be a huge drag on your returns. And you know, you'll find Matthew, you'll find opportunities down the road. You know, you'll you'll have bought a small position in a company. It's done really well. If you also do the David Gardner approach, which is tend to watering your flowers and trimming your weeds down the way, maybe not selling necessarily, but just focusing more capital on some of your winners in those portfolios over time, which I've also done, you can do even better. So I'm all about the uh, the small, regular, incremental investments every month, even if it's a few shares. I'm all about it. One uh, change in my investing that has happened recently is. Uh, and you just touched on this, and it's the whole thing with your weeds. Because I was looking at my personal portfolio, and you know how you can. And uh, my money's with TD Ameritrade; it's been there for a long time. And uh, I'm sure other uh, others offer this service uh, as well, where you just you're looking at your portfolio, and one of the, one way you can look at it is just sort of like it, it's a pie chart. So you've got you you've got your stocks, and it's like oh, and you just click on this button, you say this is what percentage of your portfolio is tied up in this stock. And I was looking at Under Armour. Oh, <laughs> just, that slice been shrinking. It's just, it is the time. It is. It is the like. Oh, and one percent of your portfolio is in this. And I looked at that, and I just thought, you know what? A couple of years ago, I would have looked at that and thought I should just sell this and I should put the money elsewhere. And that's that's where I'm. Where I've just decided, like, no, I'm just gonna let that go. It's it's not a. It's not. It is not a significant port. Part of my portfolio, but I'm just going to let it go and and yeah, and, and that's the beautiful thing. I mean, in, in Under Armour, whether or not that ends up they end up turning around or not, it's it's a small position right now. It's not going to have if if it drops another fifty percent, it's not doing much damage to your portfolio. On the other hand, if it turns around, maybe you can add to it again down the road, and all of a sudden you have this big. Bigger slice your pie. I could dare to dream that someday it becomes two percent of my portfolio. <laughs> One can dream. Matt Argusinger, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. If we've got power, even if we don't have power, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>